the Heimat's way. Doch wir sind bereit, der Kampf und den Siegen für dich. Freiheit. Hi. Thursday today because I won't be able to do it tomorrow, so I figured I had some time. I'll sneak one in. Honestly, mostly because I'm just addicted to opening these Desert Storm trading cards. It really is the gift that keeps on giving. Just a flashback to the birth of the, of the world that we're all going to live in as long as we're around. Well, that's not true, certainly. Not as long as we're around, you know, because we never go anywhere. Matter, after all, can neither be created nor destroyed. We're all ah, eternal in that respect because, you know, there's no outside of the of the the, the universe. And we spin around in that ether and get brought together in forms that regard ourselves and each other. And, and that experience then becomes this collective, suspended eternal moment that we just branch off of before returning to. Uh, but certainly, this version of ourselves, the, the ones that we have erroneously identified as, you know, our identity... The one that we say, this is me, even though no, it's a very, it's a very, very transient, temporary uh, performance of an eternal self. Uh, but anyway, 1991, the year that, uh, the year Skynet became self-aware. So let's just start right away. Uh, we got the ace, this is military asset. Warbird, the A7 Corsair. The A7 Corsair. Looks pretty cool. Once again, not a great shot. Uh, just the underside of the, of the airplane. Uh, no real perspective. The, uh, as I've said before, the art in these is pretty bad. Uh, the A-7 Corsair, Warbird, first flown in 1965, the A-7 is being phased out after long service in both the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy. The modern version can carry more than 115,000 pounds of armament and has a reputation for delivering the weapons, uh, its weapons on target. For Operation Desert Storm, 20 A-7s were deployed in the Persian Gulf. So this guy, they probably don't have these anymore if they were phasing it out in 91, to replace with something that cost 10 times as much and was a third to a fourth as effective. That's how uh, progress has gone, quote-unquote progress has gone, in military technology since the Gulf War. Uh, they've just dumped more and more money into it, 
uh, and without it having to actually be effective because, you know, we're not at war. We're not in a cold war with the Soviets anymore. We're just playing in a big sandbox. Uh, at least that was what they were thinking. Uh, we can just uh, dick around. And that's what they did. They dicked the fuck around. And now we have planes that cannot fly in the rain because their paint will melt off. Uh, planes that will uh, decapitate pilots. Uh, and new generations that are of, of, uh, of military equipment that are supposed to supersede something that there is no competitor for. Like one of the big th uh, services that Michael Bay has done to the U.S. military is to feature uh, things like the F-22 in movies like Transformers uh, to show people, hey, this is the cool material we have and this is what your tax dollars are going towards without, you know, highlighting the fact that this is literally the only time that could ever happen is if there were alien robots showing up. And do you think that that's likely? Anyway. I'm sure that we have replaced the A7 Corsair with something much shittier. They're getting rid of the A10 Warthog, which is like the the uh, warhorse of close air support aircraft with its big fucking central Gatling gun. Uh, they're getting rid of it because there's uh, money to be made. Now we've got another military asset, a fighting ship, the USS Ranger. The USS Ranger. Look at that guy, the USS Ranger. Uh, commissioned in 1957, the USS Ranger was the first ship designed exclusively as an aircraft carrier. Of the Forrestal class, she is larger than her sister carrier in the Persian Gulf Midway by more than 10,000 tons. The Ranger, ordered to the Persian Gulf in November 1990, carries an assortment of 85 aircraft. Home port, of course, San Diego, California. An armed military encampment that calls itself a city. Oh, yeah, the Osprey has killed more American service members than, like, every, almost all of our uh, declared enemies since Vietnam, you know, until the War on Terror. Like, the Granada, uh, Panama, you know, those guys that we kicked their asses, uh, they collectively, I mean, of course, you know, the exception being the uh, the Lebanese, who really did notch a, a pretty big W there in Beirut. But other than that, the Osprey killed more people than those guys. Uh, displacement, 79,200 tons, full load. Length, uh, uh, 1,039 feet. Speed, 33 knots, which is approximately 38 miles per hour, apparently. Uh, aircraft, 85. Crew, 6,289. Damn, that's bigger than many, a lot of towns in this country. Just think about that. We've got personnel. We've got firefighters. This is a guy in a uh, plexiglass sort of future spacesuit. He's got a big water hose. Putting out fires. Firefighters in the armed forces contend with hazards quite different from those with most civilian air firemen deal. One significant reason is that fuels and chemicals used in today's military vehicles and aircraft are often hazardous materials requiring special training and procedures. Firefighters in all situations strive to deny the fire fuel, 
oxygen or heat to interrupt the chemical chain reaction. Deprivation of one of these elements will cause the fire to go out. Okay. In case you didn't know how putting out a fire worked, thank you for that. Here we go. Geography. South Korea. We're getting a shout-out to another member of the coalition. You signed off on this war, you get a card. Korea, with a recorded history of more than 2,000 years, was divided into north and south in July 1945. Nice passive voice. Who is it divided by? After That might not be passive voice, but you know what I mean. After North Korea invaded South Korea in June 1950, the United Nations invoked military action to be led by the United States. Truce for the Korean War was signed in 1953. South Korea is not a member of the United Nations. Is that still true? The South, South Korea's got to be in the UN now, right? There was a South Korean UN's uh, general secretary recently. For Operation uh, Desert Storm, South Korea sent supply planes and pilots. Geographic area, 38,025 square miles. Yeah, it is. So when did it get out of... When was it not in the UN? It was admitted in 91. Okay, interesting. So at this point, it wasn't. Uh, population, 43.9 million. Language, Korean. Predominant religions, Buddhism, Confucianism, and Christianity. Um, rare among uh, uh, Asian countries. And not coincidentally, because it's also where uh, U.S. Uh, occupation... Uh, had the most cultural impact. Capital, Seoul, government type, republic, head of government, Prime Minister, Kang Young Noon. Hoon? One way or another, probably dead. All right, we've got Germany. Reunited and it feels so good. That's right, Germany. She's back to her old tricks. This is, I believe, the, the thing on the card here is, I think this is Mad King Ludwig's Bavarian Castle? Is that what this is? The one that he spent, uh, you know, uh, 25 years building and, and destroyed his uh, fortune? Uh, so we got the Federal Republic of Germany. At midnight on October 3rd, 1990, Germany was reunited after 45 years of division. At the end of World War II, Germany was divided into two parts, East and West. In 1973, each was admitted to the United Nations. On September 15, 1990, Germany promised to contribute a $2 billion aid package to the Gulf effort. Uh, as was the case with other nations, Germany companies, of course, sold weapons and war materials to Iraq before August 2, 1990. Damn! Uh, spilling some tea here in these cards, reminding people that, oh yeah, these guys were arming Saddam. I wonder if they talk about how we armed Saddam in any of these cards. Geographic area, 137,600 square miles. Population, 77.5 million. Language, German. Predominant religions, Roman Catholicism, Protestantism. Capital, Berlin. Government type, Democratic Republic. Head of government, good old Chancellor Helmut Kohl. He was a big fat party animal. He would hang out with Bill Clinton. They'd eat giant knockwursts. Uh, I think it is. I think there's a strong argument to be made that Germany should have been uh, broken up after World War One, and then not allowed to reunite. Certainly uh, after World War Two, like that's a no-brainer. But they probably should have said, "Look, if we don't want Germany to interfere with, uh, you know, the establishment of an Anglo-led uh, international economic 
system, which is what we are doing. We are building an uh, Anglo-American world system for the 20th century. If we are serious about preventing Germany as a uh, subgroup of humanity, the German people, people who speak German and occupy that geographic area, if we uh, are serious about preventing them from grabbing at the reins, then they just can't be allowed to be one country. They're just too powerful. And so they probably should have broke it up after uh, World War One. Of course, it would have tried to push itself back together again, obviously. But uh, letting it reunite after 1990 was, I don't know, probably a mistake. Uh, you got another military act asset here. The Mirage 2000. We talked about this one. Yeah, this is a fucking double. This sucks. How am I getting doubles? I, I, I have the complete set here. They should be all different. Put Israel in Germany. Yes. Like there, there was a, this is, this is true. There was a Nakba style, uh, ethnic cleansing of East Prussia, uh, the Baltic coast area, uh, in what is now Poland after World War II. Uh, and the difference is that, uh, those people were integrated back into German society when they were pushed West, not, you know, kept in refugee camps, uh, for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so if they had uh, settled some Jews there, nobody would have said a word. The Germans least of all. Because they were responsible. Oh, good. This is a good one. Military skill. Teamwork. It makes the dream work, folks. Marx's parents were from the Rhineland, on the other side of Germany. They were liberated. His family were Jews, whose family was liberated by the uh, occupation of the French army during the Napoleonic War. So teamwork. For every combat soldier, 10 people work in support. These troops, working as a team, keep the fighting force supplied, informed, and directed. As in everyday life, practicing teamwork makes every job easier. Whenever you can, lend a hand. I think that's something we can all agree with. Oh, boy. Intelligence file. Palestinians. Oh, boy. Yikes. We've had Judaism, and now we have Palestinians. Listen to the uh, Larry David music play. Palestine is a region that now consists of Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. In 1967, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians fled from their homeland as a result of the Arab-Israeli war. Hmm. Today, more than 2.5 million Palestinians live outside what was Palestine. Their dream is to return one day and to reclaim the land that Israel now officially claims or occupies. Thinking that Saddam Hussein might further their cause, many Palestinians supported Iraq during Operation Desert Storm. <sighs> Could they really be innocent? Is Israel really uh, wrong to treat them that way if they're going to support Iraq during Operation Desert Storm? A war so great we made a fucking uh, collector's card set out of it? That's a good war. If you're making collector's card sets for your war, it's a good one. Pretty axiomatic there. So therefore, Palestinians, bad. Okay, here we go. 
We're definitely in the second row of uh, supporters for the war effort here. We got Sweden in geography. Sweden. We got Sweden. Located on the Scandinavian Peninsula in Northern Europe, Sweden has been occupied by basically the same ethnic people for approximately 5,000 years. Sweden gained independence from Denmark in 1523. For almost 200 years, Sweden has maintained a position of armed neutrality. Sweden joined the United Nations in 1946. For Operation Desert Storm, Sweden provided medical personnel. Oh, isn't that nice? Send some band-aids. They also probably sent a lot of military hardware because... The dirty little secret of uh, the Swedish political economy is that they're a big-time arms exporter. Like, that was how they contributed their uh, percentage of, uh, you know, uh, industry-based industry consumption, which everybody had to do while we built the post-war order. And they weren't like Norway, which has that fucking oil. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're up there in the middle of nowhere, so they made a shit ton of weapons. Sell them to everybody. And here we got another country, another very crucial ally in the war, Italy. Hey, abundanza. Hey. I eat antipasta twice just because she is so nice, Angelina. Angelina, waitress at the pizzeria. I eat soup and minestrone just to be with her alone, Angelina. Angelina, the waitress at the pizzeria. Okay, the Italian Republic. After a lengthy history as the seat of the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church, oof, modern Italy was united, uh, unified during the middle of the 19th century. During the Renaissance, Italy led the development in Western culture. Since Italy was one of the aggressors during World War II, it was not permitted to join the United Nations until 1955. For Operation Desert Storm, Italy supplied naval units and planes. Hey, we give you some spaghetti, too. Don't forget that, huh? Ah, uh, hey, what's the matter with you, huh? It's very funny when you study World War II and you look at Mussolini and his insistence on making uh, Italy once again the Roman Empire, uh, you know, accepting the mantle of colonial conquest that was thrown down by that very Anglo-American uh, uh, global economy that was being built, right? Because the uh, the headquartering of world capitalism in, in London and then Washington, D.C. is predicated on those states' command of resources, not just at home, but in their connected network of uh, conquered and exploited lands. Uh, like It's all one project when you consider that the United States is just this tumor that grew off of the British imperial state because there's just so much resources and so much land and such a uh, motivation to emigrate that the, the crisis-wracked uh, uh, British society creates this new... Uh, colonial class that's capable of operating under its own for its own self-perceived interests which eventually come into conflict conflict with uh, the greater imperial interests of England which is why you have the revolutionary war but at that point you know it's still England's 
ball. Like they, the the pound sterling is is a de facto global reserve currency throughout the 19th century. I mean, I've said this before, but one of the big things that uh, doomed Reconstruction. People, you talk about how oh, you know, uh, America's just too racist; it could never have worked. One of the big constraints had nothing to do with America's racial uh, animus uh, and and uh, and racism. It had to do with the fact that the U.S. dollar was, in a, in a sense, pegged to the British pound along with every other major economy that traded with England. You were honored to trade, you traded in British pounds. Otherwise, it, the the transaction cost builds up and it becomes, uh, you lose your competitive advantage. Uh, and so what, now the, the, the Republican Party after the war didn't really have any interest in a loose money policy for their own reasons. Uh, like they were ideologically and materially committed to hard money, but that they were not the only Republicans. There were soft money Republicans who wanted to keep uh, going because the U.S. went off of the gold standard during the war to pay for the war, to mobilize. They made these greenbacks, unsecured by anything, fiat currency. And they were the, the, the economy was flush with this money after the war. And the question was, what do we do with it? And what they ended up doing with it was taper it off. But there were Republicans who said, no, this should be the new reality. And one of the things pulling them away from that, not the only thing, but a powerful force that led to the, the eventual domination, helped lead to the, the domination of the conservative faction of the Republicans, is that uh, if they had gone off the gold standard, in effect, they would have been much more vulnerable vis-a-vis -vis the British in global trade. They would have... They would have uh, potentially undermined their economy. Like the danger of inflation would have been real. It would have required like a real conflict between the U.S. and Britain uh, on political grounds to resolve that. But that's all based on their colonial holdings, the matrix of power that they extract out of the earth, literally, and, and, and then like pull through this network of, of trade relationships. In the 20th century, your country was going to uh, sub be suborned into that structure. Under what conditions was that going to happen? The countries of Italy and Germany, latecomers to the national pageant in Europe, uh, were too late to establish the sort of uh, uh, terrestrial imperial dominion that the Anglosphere did. France, by that point, had accepted that it would be a junior partner, that it would be along for the ride in a sense. But Germany, and then later, and then Italy too, uh, insisted that they could have a, uh, a com more commanding uh, position. Germany, it made sense. You know, they were the biggest, together, they're the biggest most economically powerful block in Europe. They, they would makes every, it stands to reason that they would make a play for control, for hegemony, given that position. It would be irrational of them to not try to seek that because they clearly have the capacity to assert it. But what they don't really realize is that those colonial holdings have given the uh, Anglo-American uh, block a, uh, a crucial time advantage in, in building institutional uh, uh, capacity to carry out this control, which means you can't take it from them. That's what that means. 
And they tried. They tried to snatch it, and they got smacked back. And with Germany, as I said, it makes sense. Italy is funnier. Italy comes down to the delusions of uh, the dipshit Mussolini and his cadre of hangers-on, uh, who, in the context of like a, a Italian state that had barely been brought into existence, that was still just this fledgling structure uh, with, with, with very weak... Uh, uh, legitimacy or effective extension of its power, uh, it couldn't really hold off this, uh, you know, motivated uh, push towards power from Mussolini and his followers. And they said, "We're going to make Europe. We're going to make it Rome again. So we're going to do war everywhere." And where were they? Where was left for them to go to war with? They went to war to Ethiopia. And then they gave a lot of support to the nationalists during the Spanish Civil War. And Mussolini was fixated all through the Spanish Civil War on getting as much playing time for his guys as possible. He wanted to send as many volunteers, many of them Italian uh, fascist black shirts, to Spain to learn how to fight, to to display uh, Italian uh, uh, valor and, and, and uh, you know, Roman spirit. And to that end, they sent thousands of uh, troops. He also kind of crazily did almost unrestricted submarine warfare on merchant ships going to Republican Spain that saw like the sinking of British ships. Uh, there was a danger that the uh, the Italians were going to like go the the British into a war in the Mediterranean. That's how seriously they took it. But Hilariously, the record of the Italian army in the Spanish Civil War is pretty mixed. Uh, they and they took uh, Santander in the north, I think, but they also were responsible for like one of the few times that the Republican army was able to execute a meaningful offensive blow and like take significant territory. It was from the Italians, and then he invades Albania. Uh, and then hilariously in, uh, goes into Greece, gets his ass kicked out of Greece, has part of Albania taken from him by the Greeks, forcing Hitler to postpone Barbarossa and divert forces to the south to secure uh, Greece. I mean, that is a big what if. What if, it, what if fucking Mussolini doesn't shoot his wad there? But they were always the weakest link in that chain. Holy crap. Along for the fucking ride. Because you aren't what you think you are. Yes, you're hearkening back to Rome, but that's because you're closer to it in your institutions and in your uh, culture than Germany is or or the U.S. or the U.K. Because they have gone through a capitalist transformation that you have uh, failed to have initiated. And so you have these early pop-offs in all of the least developed countries in Europe are the ones where some sort of uh, uh, revolution or coup took power. And then, of course, Germany, which was just decimated by World War II, World War I. But the institutions get hollowed out or are never built. Uh, geographic area, 116,303 square miles. Population, 57.7 million. 
Language, Italian, predominant religion, Roman Catholicism. Capital, Rome. Government type, Republic, head of government, Prime Minister, Giulio Andriotti. Oh, my God. Holy crap. Uh, Andriotti was uh, PM during this war. Wow. So if anybody knows about, um, you know, Gladio, about Propaganda Due, about the years of lead, about the deep state power that ruled uh, Italy uh, during the heyday of the Italian Communist Party. That guy, uh, Andriotti, uh, was the eminence gris of the political wig of that power structure for almost the entire post-war period. Uh, and he, yeah, he had many people killed. He collaborated with the CIA and uh, former fascists, uh, the Vatican, and, of course, the mafia to uh, ensure that the Italian Communist power never, Party never took power. And so that meant false, false flag terror attacks, a uh, massive amount of drug smuggling to fund the whole thing, uh, and probably the assassination of a prime minister who was threatening to bring the, Democ the Communist Party into government. There was also, during Nixon, uh, a moment where a fascist coup was uh, planned and, like, in the offing. Like, it was, it was, it was, like, midnight was coming and it was going to be Spain in 1936. And then Nixon made a phone call to the head of the thing and called it off. And it was just fully demobilized. Uh, and then the, to this day, nobody exactly knows why that happened. The, the, one of the leading theories is that it was essentially just a warning. It was just showing to the uh, powers that be in Italy exactly what the U.S. and its allies in Italy were capable of and willing to do. And then because uh, they got the message, it wasn't followed through on. Yes, uh, somebody asked what happened. How did Mussolini die? He was captured fleeing the uh, Social Republic of Salo. Uh, with his mistress, and he was shot and then had uh, hung by his ankles uh, above a gas station. And one of the people who shot him actually was elected to the Italian parliament after the war as a communist. Oh, he was given a trial. Well, that's nice. Gee, I wonder what the outcome of that was going to be. Hey, uh, hey, uh, is this the guy? Yeah, we all know it's him. But then those people, the people who had supported him all throughout that uh, period, they were just reincorporated into the Italian state, just as the former Nazis were in West Germany, and to a lesser but still real extent, East Germany. And, you know, like, that whole thing, that also happened in Japan. Japan also had a Gladio-style organization that, that stood up a relationship between a political party, the Liberal Democrats, uh, a uh, corporate structure, a corporate power structure, and a black market uh, illegal power structure in the form of the fucking Yakuza. Uh, the only difference is there was never really a years of lead other than, you know, like the Japanese Red Guard running around. 
uh, because uh, Italy, because uh, Japan prospered way more than Italy did economically in the post-war period. So they got just uninterrupted. They got the same uninterrupted rule by that Gladio party that Italy did, only it didn't have, you know, truck bombings and, and assassinations every day. Oh, and yeah, the former uh, war criminals uh, and colonial monsters who had despoiled China and the rest of the greater East Asia co-prosperity spirit were all back integrated into government. It was not the end of World War II. It was a change of sides. That happens sometimes during war. Side, like when you have multiple parties, more than two parties at war, you will often see allies flip. When fucking Hannibal invaded Italy, he had this... 15-year nightmare of securing alliances with non-Roman tribes or non-Roman uh, groups outside of Rome or like on the con on the peninsula, fighting for with them, and then they just eventually he moves away and they go under the sway of Rome again and they switch sides. Yes, a few uh, uh, Japanese leftists have been were killed by katanas, but it's much smaller. It's a much uh, less bloody record than in Italy. So what? Well, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so all you have is a a breather, a timeout, which is what you had after nineteen eighteen. Uh, after the Versailles, that wasn't that. None of those issues were resolved by that war. It was just they exhausted everybody, exhausted each other fighting, and had to reconstitute for a while. And then they went back at it again. And then once again, there was an exhaustion moment. And then they went back at it. And that was the Cold War, which was in reality a bunch of actual hot conflicts all over the globe, but mostly concentrated in those places where capitalism was still being. Uh, uh, imposed at the at the like at the closest levels of exchange, where where the traditional uh, economic and cultural structures that had persisted were being broken open violently, and that is the continuation of World War II with the side switched. It went from U.S. U.K. Uh, and the U and the U.S.S.R against the uh, the right-wing terror states of the Axis to the defeated Axis's uh, ruling elites uh, uh, now signing a, essentially a separate peace with the U.S. and the U.K. and then going to war in the rest of the world with the uh, U.S. Anglo former ally, the Soviet Union. And one of the things that really uh, really condemns Stalin, because you can defend Stalin all you want and say he had to do what he had to do if they were going to beat the Nazis. Okay, but then what happened? He, understandably, but still erroneously, did not realize that, uh, that the only path forward was going to be war with, not with the West. 
he didn't want that. And there, we've talked about it before. There was a high possibility of that being at least uh, attempted by the United States under a healthier FDR or a Henry Wallace presidency. But the fact that all it took was uh, that Hick Truman becoming president to, to completely de derail it says it was never a sure thing. But yeah, like we could have continued fighting that those those national uh, demons with the, our Soviet colleagues in the rest of the world, uh, which would have eventually meant civil war in the West, would have broken those countries in half, would have broken us in half, would have led to a lot of violence. There's no option where warfare is not the defining characteristic of the 20th century, but warfare with perhaps a different outcome. Like we come on the other end of the of the monstrous conflagrations of the 20th century, knitting toward something instead of burrowing frantically away from each other as we become ever more uh, biologically and technologically interconnected. Like we have these processes at banging against each other instead of harmonizing towards one another, and that is the the dream that the that the left broadly fought in the 20th century. That was the vision. And, you know, I think it says something that it's a vision that the right shares in its imagery, in its, in its uh, self-conception, and in its propaganda of, you know, of, of a stellar uh, super, super fecundity. Uh, but it elides, like, the... Uh, how to get that. It, it elides the question of how that is brought about. Is it brought about by humans mastering uh, their environment and then uh, cooperating towards, you know, uh, a interstellar civilization? Or is it grinding humans against one another until you have uh, led to the conquest of a class of people who consider themselves the heirs of a the the uh, uh, the champions of a Darwinist tournament of uh, like survival uh, among the the living things of Earth, right? Like because that is that is what uh, space fascism is, right? The thing that our elites are trying to create. Oh, you know, uh, Star Trek, but with the knowledge that your Star Trek world was built on uh, and through uh, the extinguishment of everyone who wasn't you. Uh, what justifies that in the mind of these people is that, well, we have been selected by this contest, this endless, eternal human contest of wills. And we have won. But the thing is, the twist is, is that in winning, you have been pulled to the top of a inhuman calculating machine that is not selecting for the best of humanity, that is not selecting for anything vital that we would want to protect and define as the good in the world, even if it's totally narcissistically connected to our individuality. Like, the deeper, like, emotional truths of life are selected against 
are wrung out of the system. The people who pull to the top are those who have been hollowed out so that by the time they're the only ones left, what they think, the, the life that they think that they're taking to space has been fucking suffocated. They are the Borg. So how do you get there is what matters. How do you get to those 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 ships and those bubble cities and that endless frontier? How do you make the frontier truly endless, both out and crucially in? How do you make it so that there is always a meaningful pursuit of life, not the thwarted, gangrenous uh, pursuits, the hollow and endless pursuits, uh, of 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 living uh, for base ideas of uh, enjoyment, pleasure, you know, sin- indulgence, that stuff. Sense the sensory experience of a single individual. If you build a machine to give you that, it's taking your awareness of anything but yourself it's stripping you of connections like real neural connections to the the feedback of life like the the hum of 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 of, of existence Because, yes, if you do not have a social vision of uh, existence, if you don't have an emotional relationship to other people that is not uh, abstracted into uh, a, uh, an economic calculus motivated by your uh, consumer preferences... Your, your your status as homo economicus, who, yes, might recognize I need other people, I even love other people, but fundamentally relates that, uh, has makes that relationship uh, a, a hedonic calculus, as opposed to just the genuine, uncompelled love uh, of others. If you don't have that, then uh, you will never make a human move. You'll never do a thing for a human motive. You will only do things for a motive that can be abstracted, calculated, predicted, uh, and drained of uh, free will and meaning. We think that's the condition of life. No, that is the condition that life imposes upon us against our will. And we struggle with it every day. And that struggle is our life. That struggle is uh, our our purpose. Struggling against that.
All right, I'm going to do quickly one more pack of these because I'm enjoying it. Uh, military asset. The MIM-104 Patriot. This was the most famous weapon of the Iraq War for anyone who was alive at that time, the first one. Much ballyhooed. This was an anti-missile missile that was used to shoot down missiles. This is pre-Iron Dome shit. The Scud Buster, thank you, they called it. Uh, and they used it to prevent the missiles that uh, Saddam shot at Israel from hitting anything. Because Israel, at the request of the United States, did not go to war uh, against uh, Iraq because the U.S. had gotten all the other uh, Arab countries to go along with this war. Uh, they'd even gotten Syria, which was like ruled allegedly by a Ba'ath party, uh, just like Iraq was, even though, you know, they all hated each other. Uh, he had this delicate diplomatic balance, and if Israel had had, got, had joined it, then that would have knocked the whole thing off. They wouldn't have been able to uh, sustain that even to their own people, even the dictatorship. Um, and so Israel was neutral. And so to get Israel to attack him, Saddam shot a bunch of scuds at Israel, and they had the Patriot to shoot him down, although I don't honestly know if it ever worked. I don't know what its what its success rate was. I don't think it did very much. I don't, I'm not sure. It might have shot down one or two. I don't know. If anyone has the stats on the Patriot in the first Gulf War, please tell me. The highly effective, oh yeah, the highly effective mobile air defense missile has been the chief protector against the Scud missile attacks in the Middle East. Once launched, the Patriot is guided by a control station using data from both ground-based radar and a receiver in the nose of the missile. As it nears the enemy missile or aircraft, the Patriot's fragmentation warhead detonates, destroying the intruder. Hell yeah. That's pretty fucking boss. Uh, manufacturer, Raytheon. God bless Raytheon. Speed, Mach 2. Range, 42 miles. Primary function, surface-to-air defense. Warhead, fragmentation. The Patriot. Yeah. I don't think they even use those anymore. I don't think Iron Dome uses them. Yeah. So that was a big flop. Uh, military skill, latitude and longitude. Uh, is that a skill? It seems like it's a tool. Latitude and longitude. Knowing what it is, is that the skill? Uh, measurement of latitude and longitude provides a system for locating many posi any position on the globe. Major divisions are measured in degrees and minor divisions in minutes. The prime meridian is located at the Greenwich Observatory in England. Of course it is. Of course it is. Where else would it have been? The 19th century was the, was the century where Judge Holden... Bes first beheld the world in all of its glory and started to really do the job of pinning all of the butterflies to the cork board. And so, and that process was carried out, spearheaded by the dreaded Anglo lizard people. So, of course, they got the axis of the world. The latitude of Washington, D.C. is latitude north, 38 degrees, 53 minutes, longitude, 77 degrees, 2 minutes. There you go, in case you wanted to find that on a map. Uh, government, U.S. Constitution, that's right, U.S. Constitution, 
read it, love it. It's the greatest document. It is. It might end up being humanity's suicide note, which would be very funny. Because I could see future humans looking back at this version of the human comedy and going like, oh, yeah, this thing here, that's some bad code. That's going to be a problem. The U.S. Constitution has been used as a model worldwide. Uh, actually, that's not true at all. It's actually hilarious to what degree the U.S. Constitution, the first democratic constitution, is not the model that other constitutions follow. Uh, our system of elections, for example, is one that we have never... All the countries we've knocked over and replaced their government uh, since in the 20th century, not one of them have we given our system because it is designed not to work. And in America, that was fine because the political work that other uh, uh, democratic systems needed to do in America was done by what? You know it. You love it. Free real estate. Free real estate patched over that degree of social conflict that in European parliamentary democracies had to be wrangled politically and, and disputed and dispersed politically. That degree of violence and conflict had to be diffused for stability. In America, that degree of conflict could be exported onto, uh, onto compelled labor and expropriated land. So of course nobody fucking got our system. It's 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 designed to be ineffective. And if you aren't the America the settler colony, it doesn't work. Uh, as a model worldwide, no, it doesn't. To form workers uh, working rules for government, its purpose is stated eloquently in the preamble. All right, settle down. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. A coup, a banker's coup against the plain republic. And the funny thing is, is like, that is both true, that understanding of like the Federalists as this group that was trying to trying to destroy the liberty loving legacy of the Constitution of the of the Revolution. It is true, but considering that the people complaining about it and economically mobilizing it were not the plain people of the of the of the of the country, were not uh the the rebels of Western Pennsylvania. They were the planter aristocrats of the fucking Piedmont South. And if they wanted their little uh, slave republic, they were going to have to build a administrative and financial state capable of fending off uh, other powers. They couldn't accept the reality of their position because they didn't have to, because they got to play Cicero in their little fancy fucking... Uh, colonnaded plantation house. They got to pretend. They got to live in a fantasy land. But on the and the people in the of the rough rocky soil of New England, they couldn't they literally couldn't afford those illusions. It's like, yeah, they were doing it to gain power. They were doing it for for their own uh, economic benefit. Of course, that's why everybody does everything. You're not explaining anything when you say that. The reason they did it is because they thought the United States needed to be a fucking computer, uh, competing nation to the existing European uh, uh, power structure. They had to compete. 
They needed to compete for power, or they would be they would be supplicated by somebody. And even though they didn't want it, they ended up letting it happen. Why? Because they secretly needed it. They didn't know it, but they needed it. And, and that one of the big problems with American populism as a tradition is a huge percentage of it is just dumbass uh, fixed capital holders whose parochial, uh, whose who's luxurious parochial ignorance allows them to think that they don't need uh, the modern state capacity that uh, ca capital markets provide. And they dig their heels in and they fuck it up. And they are allowed to do it to the degree that they can kind of get it out of their system, maintain their, you know, uh, protection for their industry. But over time, that goes away. And now we're in a situation where there is a fully empowered Republican Party that is ready to do things like fucking go over the fucking fiscal cliff to not pay the debt which is just an insane nihilistic thing to do. And you could only do it if you are an expression of that particular parochial delusion of the fixed capital holders of the United States. Uh, leader, Lieutenant General Charles A. Horner. We got Chuck Horner here. I always put this too low. Uh, he is the Lieutenant General Charles A. Horner. He's the commander of the 9th Air Force, U.S. Command Center Air Force, uh, U.S. Command Air Force, Shaw uh, AFB SC. Commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Air Force after his graduation from college, Horner was awarded his pilot wings in November 1959 and worked his way through the ranks to become general on August 1st, 1968, 1988. Horner is a command pilot with more than 450 4,500 flying hours and has maintained proficiency in a variety of modern fighter aircraft, including F-4s, F-15s, and F-16s. Well, that's cool. They got these uh, old generals tooling around in the F-16 sometimes. Born Davenport, Iowa, USA. Education, uh, birthday, October 19th, 1936. Education, University of Iowa, Iowa City, USA, 64. Uh, MBA, College of William and Mary, Williamsburg, Virginia, 72. One of our heroes. We got Argentina here. Uh, I think they're either, they're at the tail end of the junta at this point. I don't know. Has the junta fallen? I think the junta fell after the Falklands. So fresh little baby democracy. Argentina's post-World War II history is marked by the name Juan Perón. Winning presidential elections in 1946 and 1951, Juan D. Perón became so powerful as a dictator that a coup forced him into exile in 1955. His wife, Isabella, later became the hemisphere's first woman chief of state. In 1962, Great Britain and Argentina, and 1982, Great Britain and Argentina fought over the Falkland Malvinas Islands. Argentina is a member of the United Nations and the coalition forces. Uh, geographic area, 1,072,067 square miles. Population, 32.3 million. Language, Spanish. Predominant religion, Roman Catholic. 
Capital, Buenos Aires. Government type, Republic. Head of government, President Carlos Menem. Ah, uh, yes. The guy who went into power as a Peronist claiming that he was going to fight uh, the neoliberal austerity and then got in there and was like, psych, y'all believe me? You play too much. We got another military asset here. Oh, God, another terrible picture. The F-A-18 Hornet. This is a very famous plane. I think it was in... I think they used the Hornet in uh, Top Gun Maverick. Again, not sure. But this picture is very dark. Uh, with the, It looks a little brighter with the, 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 camp, the light in the, in the screen, but it's, um, it's very dark. It's a shitty shot. It's a bad shot. The F-A-18 Hornet. Uh, the multi-mission Hornet is both a fighter and an attack aircraft. Cool. Carried or, carrier or land-based, it is used by both the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Marine Corps and can carry up to 17,000 pounds of air-to-air -air or air-to-ground missiles and bombs. There are 128 deployed in the Operation Desert Storm throughout six carrier groups and U.S. Marine land bases. Manufacturer, McDonnell Douglas. Speed, Mach 1.8 max. Range, 8,600... 662 miles. Armament, 20 millimeter M61 uh, girl, two wingtip Sidewinder missiles, other missiles, and or bombs. Crew, one for the FA-18A uh, uh, and uh, two for the FA-18B. Uh, okay. Could they still just use this guy? Do we need the new ones? Do we need the F-22? Do we need the F-35? Can we just use the Hornet? Like, what, what, what? Who's doing dogfights, for Christ's sake? It's not even a thing anymore. And we're not even bombing anymore. We just use drones. Military asset. Uh, the Spurance class destroyer. That's right, Bobby. We got a Spurance class destroyer. Yeah, there, there's no F 35 in Tapka Maverick. And they hilariously explain that by saying, well, we could use the F-35. It definitely doesn't uh, crash in the rain. But unfortunately, they're using some sort of like guidance but, uh, jammer, so we can't use it because it'll jam the guidance. It's like, holy shit. Couldn't, who, when, let's hope that doesn't get out because then everyone will just use the guidance jammer and then you'll never be able to use it anywhere. First to employ gas turbines as their main propulsion, the Spurance class destroyers have undergone modernization. They have received LAMPS, three helicopters, and Tomahawk missiles, in addition to Phalanx Siwis destroyers, USS Hewitt out of Yokosuka, Japan, and USS David R. Ray of Long Beach, California, were part of Operation Desert Storm Fleet. The Spurance class destroyers are the largest destroyers built by any Western Navy. Yeah, that's right. Motherfucker. Biggest. Destroyers, do we need them? Are they useful in this late date? Probably not, but we have more of them, and they're bigger than anybody. Displacement, 6,040 tons full load. Length, 563 feet. Speed, 32.5 knots, 37 miles per hour. Armaments, two phalanx seaweeds, two 5-inch guns, two triple torpedo tubes and missiles. Crew, 334.
Oh, yes, I've heard about the Zumwalt. Total debacle. They can't even give those away. Uh, government, the Department of Defense. Yes, that's right. We're building the largest office building on Earth to consecrate the American military-industrial complex following its unholy uh, awakening into existence following World War II. Uh, what are we going to do? Oh, we're definitely going to make it into an occult shape. You know we're going to do that. We can't help ourselves. We couldn't help ourselves designing Washington, D.C., and we can't design ourselves with the Pentagon because we know what's happening here. A, 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 a planetary creature's eye is awakening, and we are creating a gateway for it to gaze into our realm. Created by the National Security Act of 1949, the U.S. DOD is responsible for maintaining the military and protecting the security of the United States. The department developed from the need to coordinate the military branches and prevent rivalries. Yeah, I'm sure they did a great job of that. The current Secretary of Defense is Richard Cheney. Remember him? He comes back later. This is for Desert Storm. Leader, John Major. Oh, my God. Doesn't he just look so handsome and powerful? What a, what a hunk. This is the guy who sent Saddam scurrying back from Kuwait. He's John Major, the Prime Minister of the U.K., Son of a circus acrobat. Did not know that. That's interesting. John Major quit school at age 16 to help support his family. After several unsuccessful attempts at politics, he became a member of parliament as a conservative in 1979. In 1987, he became chief secretary of the treasury, a cabinet position, then was appointed foreign secretary in 1989. In 1990, he was appointed prime minister. He kind of cooed Maggie out of there. Maggie was getting a little too uh, crusty. And there are young guns in the conservative party who were kind of sick of her. So she didn't lose an election. They kind of forced her out. And then he amazingly was able to hold on in the subsequent election. Major's wife, Norma, wrote a biography of the famous Australian soprano, Joan Sutherland. Wow. Fascinating. Born, London, England. Birthday, March 29th, 1943. Education. Left school at age 16. Damn. I thought all those motherfuckers, like, had to be from Oxbridge. I guess Thatcher wasn't, all right? Daughter of a grocer. God, there's never been anything more perfect than the fact that uh, Richard Nixon and uh, Margaret Thatcher were the were the children of uh, like grocery proprietors, like uh, like comestible uh, retailers, like people who sold uh, food to people. The ultimate lower middle class existence. Low margin, constant grind, in conflict with suppliers, in conflict with customers, in conflict with the state that taxes and regulates you. No friend to any quarter. That is the psychic world of the lower middle class. And it is why fascism is its uh, political fantasy uh, when it senses decline and extinguishment. Because uh, it cannot conceive of any sort of solidarity. It trusts none outside of its own. So it imagines if we're going down, we go down swinging, which means... The fascist death drive that we're felt well familiar with now. 
So that is why it is in one sense true to say that the conservative Republican Party now is fascist, just in the sense that we finally have in the United States, the land of planting, the land of free real estate. We finally, at the exhaustion of that concept, we have a enthroned lower middle class that does not see a way out. That is the thing that connects this moment to the fascist moment. The difference, though, is that that expression was able to be channeled into a robust political culture, an infrastructure of civic organization and mobilization, a mass politics and a mass culture that led them able to literally seize control of the apparatuses of some of the most powerful states in the, in the world. That does not persist now. We have the same impulse. We have the same death drive blinking in the brain stems of the dying lower middle class of America. But they're not, that isn't being channeled into uh, mobilization. It's being channeled into uh, fantasy. Because we're just in front of screens. We've been demobilized and depoliticized as, as subjects. Those, those organs of, of social power that a person could go out every day of their house and know existed and know where to go to amplify their energy, they're gone now. You got guys like running around in, in, in polo shirts cosplaying that because they're younger and more motivated and they actually want to get to the fight rather than dream about it but they're defined by their lack of power. The people who are enthroned politically are, by definition, the one for whom this death drive is a dream. It's a fantasy. It's not a thing that they actually want to enact, which is what the uh, mobilized fascist subject was. It's a good news, bad news situation. Like, those social passions can't be gener can't be channeled towards like uh, effective fascist takeover of our institutions, but it means we don't have the capacity to challenge them from a position of solidarity either. But solidarity can be built through experience, and that is the hope of the world. Final one for today. Geography. Iraq. This is a pretty important card, I would say. You don't really have uh, a deck without this card. Republic of Iraq. Ancient Iraq was known as Mesopotamia, the land between the rivers, Tigris and the Euphrates. Modern Iraq, meaning cliff in Arabic, I didn't know that, encompasses more territory than Mesopotamia. The present boundaries were set by the British, oops, in 1922, what do you know? Uh, denied a viable outlet to the sea except for the Shat al-Arab, Iraq tried to connect these land problems by correct these land problems by waging war with Iran from 1900, 1980 to 1988. On August 2nd, 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Sykes-Picot and the British Mandate. They really did some wacky stuff in there. They really, uh, they really planted some very hilarious bombs that would later go off in the face of everybody. Geographic area, 167,924 square miles. Population, 18.8 million. Languages, Arabic and Kurdish. Predominant religion, Islam. Shia. Government, government type, Republic de jure, dictatorship de facto. All right, buddy, getting editorial again. Head of government, president and prime minister, Saddam Obama Hussein.
Okay, so those are some more of those fun guys. Sykes Pickle, bonjour mon ami, and bonsoir. 